We've talked about friendship now for a few weeks, and technically this is the end of the Real, Real Friendship series, is the last piece of it. Uh, but in reality, the next movement that we're doing, the next mini-series is really attached to it. It's going to be called Relational Skills, and um, it's going to be following up on a lot of the things that we've opened up with friendship discussion about how the Bible teaches us how we are to have friends and not to be isolated. And then we're going to get into a little bit more, how do, how do we do a better job in our relationships? How can we take the scriptures and apply them to the real life that we live? And so many of our issues have to do with people. I mean, really, when you get down to it, a lot of our troubles, a lot of our, uh, certainly our joys in life, but um, a lot of a lot of the tensions that we have, whether they're at work or in our own homes, um, are not something that we can just easily write off because they involve other people. And we can't just, just focus on others. We have to also take ownership of our own heart about how we are growing in our relational capacities. And so we're going to talk about friendship. But I was thinking about something that it came up actually this week because we've been talking about the danger of being isolated and all the things the scripture has to teach us about it, the value of living in community, doing the hard work of connecting. We've been talking about how it's important when you're in a church to actually get a little bit involved, connect with a small group or a ministry or to do something that would allow us to build friendships with others and the, the blessing of friendship and the, and the benefit of having other people who can speak into our lives and challenge us and we can grow together with. We've been getting into all the danger of, of doing this thing as a solo walk and how it really can't flourish. It, wasn't, it doesn't work well when, it's all by, when we're all by ourselves because we're, um, we're not designed that way. And so it's meant to be lived in community. Jesus taught us that. He modeled it for us. I was thinking about friendship and the danger of isolation. And something had come up. I was thinking about, well, I'll just put the verse up that came to my, we've been looking at a lot. In Ecclesiastes 4, it says that we are to always remember that Two is better than one. You know, another verse, it says, you know, two is better than one, and, you know, three full cord is not easily broken. But the idea here is that it's better than one because you have a good reward for your labor. There's this idea that if, if they fall, right, notice the phrase there, one will lift up his brother. That's what, and companion, friend. That's what Phil is singing about. It, it has to do with being there when another is in, in a difficult place. When, we're, when we fall, another can be there to help lift us up. And, and it says that, but woe be unto him, woe be unto that person who, when they fall, or when they enter into that, that difficult place, or stumble. And, I, and when I think of fall, it could be something that we've, we stumble into. It could be something of our own doing. Or it can be something of, the, of just the nature of life. We fall into a place that's very dark for us. And it might have to do with things that are external, that all of a sudden we're walking in the middle of it, and it's very scary, and it's very tough to stay encouraged. And the benefit of having a friend to be there a friend or two or a few people in our lives who can, can really speak life into us. What a blessing that is. What a, what a point of wisdom that is. You know, I was reading in the paper um, this week. We were, um, someone had mentioned it to me that I should just check out this article, and I went and, and I did. It was, it was from Wednesday's paper, um, and it was, it was a, under the heading of Emigrant Wilderness. Emigrant, that immediately caught the, my attention because Emigrant Wilderness is located right above, it's north of Yosemite. And it's a place where I actually do a lot of hiking and, and backpacking up there. It's become a hobby of mine over the years, as I've shared before. And one of the things that this article uh, talked about was how this particular man, um, who was a father and in his early 40s, had, um, had died. It was, it was a tragic story, actually. He had gone out um, last week 
and he was solo hiking, and he um, had somehow wasn't, had not been quite prepared for the storm that hit on Friday, and although he had, interestingly enough, a device, it was called, it's a, it's a it's called a 9-11 distress signal from his spot safety beacon. So he was carrying a safety beacon, but he fell into a ravine. And even though he activated his beacon, which gave the authorities immediately um, a notification of that he was in trouble and that it gives the latitude and the longitude, what happened was, according to this article, though, he, he, uh, he got caught in the storm and they, they couldn't get to him because of the, the unique nature of the storm until the following day. And by that point, it was too late. And so he died. And it was just, it, it just really stood out to me because we've been talking about the wisdom of not being alone. And how when the storms of life hit, you know, when the storms of life hit, even though we think we're prepared and we can handle it, the value of having another, the value of having friends, the value of having someone, because there are things that happen that we actually are going to need other people to be there with us. So friendship matters. And so what we're talking about is actually really very important. In fact, uh, the title of the message, just because every message deserves one, um, <laughs> is how to be a better friend. And I realize that um, er, that could be like, well, you know, what kind of, a, kind of thing is that? I mean, it's such an easy thing to, you know, what a, you know, it seems kind of like a shallow topic initially, but you understand that friendship is the core of so much of life. So we're not just talking about believing the right things and what the scriptures teach us, and there's so much value in knowing what we believe. But the fact is that so much of our faith is lived out in real life, everyday relationship. Again, at the workplace, in our homes, when we're married, certainly, we're in a family situation, just our social circles, our friendships. So much of, of life is relationship. So being a better friend is actually a very spiritual thing because it's something God created and gave us as a gift. And so I want to talk a little bit about, I've been saying that we need them. I want to talk a little bit about how to be a better friend and then also, again, prepare us for where we're going in the coming weeks and maybe stimulate some thought. Because really all I'm doing is trying to get us to think about what the Bible is talking about here and then look, not, I'm hoping that what will happen is that we won't just be thinking about how other people have let us down but that we'll actually look inward and be open to what the Lord might want to be saying to us about what it looks like to grow in our capacity to be relationally healthy people. So we, many of us are aware, and we'll just, we'll just start with this, that um, how to be a better friend. One has to do with just the words that we speak, that we need to be a people committed to speaking encouraging words, that so much of life is affected by the words that we speak, and so much of who we are has been shaped and formed by words. I mean, words are very powerful, I think many of us are aware of that. If, if we have any doubt about it, about what the Bible teaches, check out the book of James and the third chapter, which is, in, is something that we're not actually going to go into this morning. But if you want to do an additional study on it, I mean, one of the things you notice about the book of James in that third chapter is it talks so much about the power of the tongue. And it says, don't ever underestimate the ability of the words that come out of our mouths to bless and also to do tremendous damage. It talks about how a, 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 a simple word can start a forest fire. That's true in a relationship, you know, as well. How much pain can come through words. How powerful they are. You know, the old saying, well, sticks and stones may break my bones, but, you know, na names will never hurt me. Well, actually, that, I don't think that's true. 
think names do hurt. I think, I think words that are spoken to us do affect us. I can't tell you how many people who I interact with in our church community at different times, I hear their story of their life. I can't tell you how many people even now in advanced years are struggling with words that were sent their way and said to them at very formative years. Um, it, it, words can impact us for good and bad. Words have the ability to maim us, to scar us, to also to inspire us. I was talking to my son, my younger son. He, we've been spending a lot of time together just driving because I've been driving him to school and, and picking him up. We've been talking about just different things. He's a sophomore in high school, and we were just talking about some of the things that go on in the locker room. And he was sharing with me how certain things happen and things are said. You know, he's kind of has more of an identity now. He has more of a group that he's involved with people, you know, good, a lot of friends. I said, who's your best, who do you hang out with? He goes, well, you know, I kind of hang out with everybody. And we got to talking and he said to me, you know, he says, Dad, sometimes things are said that, and he was telling me some of the things that were said. And I said, well, what did you say? Because it was actually demeaning. They were, you know, they were making fun of some kids and they were, they were um, really saying some really hurtful stuff that could affect them. And I said, son, what, were you, what did you do? I said, because you know, it's really important that when, when someone in that situation, just because they're an outsider or someone who doesn't quite fit in, or maybe they're not that special and not that popular, I said, don't ever, please, as a, you, know, you're, you, you follow the Lord. I said, don't ever, ever treat people differently if you, if you can. And I said, I, and he told me, he says, you know, I, I spoke up, Dad. And I said, son, I, I respect that. I said, you, I go, don't just agree with the crowd all the time and let it go. And, and I said, I, I admire, I admire. I said, just remember, we, we, you, you, we are called to love people and to protect those who are, when we're able, when we're able. And so it was a really good conversation. And it got us into talking about the power of words and how words define people and how a lot of times things that were said to someone actually affects their outlook for a number, and if it's set at a key time in life, it can affect someone for a number of years and shape and mold them and, and create a, an opening for a lot of pain in life. And, and so I was just really encouraging him to be a, people, a person who speaks good words and is willing to defend at times to speak up because sometimes someone has to speak up. And if you have a little bit of leverage or you have a certain reputation, I said actually, or some type of influence, your willingness to speak up can actually really be a blessing. Anyway, I, I, went, I talked a lot to him about it. And I, Maybe I shared already too much around that. But the fact is that it, it, was, it was a good, you know what, that's real life. I'm going to tell you, stuff happens on our jobs. Stuff happens in our social circles. Things are said about people. And how we choose to deal with that says a whole lot about us. And do we just go with it? Do we join in with our grievance? Or are we life givers? One of the things it says in James 3, and I'll stop after this, it says, brethren, out of this, he goes, is it possible for a fountain to have both salt and sweet water at the same time? He says, is it possible that with the same mouth that we praise God with to then curse your brother? He says, brothers, these things ought not to be so. The power of words to create, to impact, to influence for good and the bad. Look what it says in Proverbs. I'll put this up. It says about pleasant words, the power of words. It says pleasant words are encouraging words. Life-giving words are like what? A honeycomb. Check this out. Sweetness to the soul, health to the bones. You know what that's saying? It's, it's, a good word can be such a blessing to us. 
a person's counsel, an affirmation, an encouragement at a time when we're not feeling that great about maybe who we are, about life, about what's been happening. We're feeling pretty discouraged about turn of events or whatever. Or we're just, you know, for whatever it happens, that someone comes along and they speak life to us and they encourage us. That's what friends do. Friends do this for one another because friends care. And you know what? When we sometimes, there are sometimes when someone speaks the right word to us at the right time in the right way, it's like it just fills us with strength. It's like nourishment coming into the very depth of who we are. And all of a sudden we've got strength to move forward just from that word, just from that encouragement, just from that conversation, that prayer, whatever. The idea being that when the Lord uses a lot of times to something to send a blessing to us, it comes to another person. And I'm thankful for that. The power of words spoken beautifully. It be, what a gift to us, you know, because we are called to be, as followers of Jesus, a people of blessing. We've been called to be wound, healers, wounded healers in his name. Listen, we sign on to follow Jesus. We sign on to do his work. And that means we do it. We're supposed to be trying to be open to being a blessing in every, every sphere of our life. That means every relationship is on the board. Everything we do. The Lord said, don't ever, Jesus taught his disciples. It's good for us. He said, don't ever, ever marginalize faith to something you do in the temple only. Integrate, love the Lord your God with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor, your brother, your sister. You love, your, love people as you love yourself. I mean, he, he's saying, don't take it out of everyday life. Keep it in there. Remember, it's, it's greedy, it's real, it's supposed to be something that challenges us to, to face up to things, to get better, to grow through things. It's about working in real life, this faith of ours. And we are called to be better, better than what, better friends, robust friends, healers, life givers, speakers of good words, benedictions, we give them good words, life giving. It's partly what we're supposed to be. You know, people will overlook, the, I was thinking about it, they will overlook our grammar if it isn't perfect, if they will put up with us if our jokes aren't funny. But if we regularly cut and hurt people and scar people with our words, it's going to be hard for people to be with us. Because that type of an environment is toxic. I remember... Um, Years ago, I, I was a man who came into our church, and he just stands out to me because I remember that I would got into a conversation with him, and I, on, you know, and I hear a lot of stuff. I mean, just stories of people's lives, and I can get a. I mean, I, I, as I, but this one, he he was so bitter. He was so he was so angry. He came in like it was like a live nerve. He he was going through a divorce. And he came into the church, and he, I could just, it could just feel bitterness oozing out of everything. It was the X, and it was, it was, he was hurt, and he was angry, but he was bitter. And I, and I remember watching the trajectory of his life as he started to get more involved, and, and he, I started, you know what? It was amazed, amazed me actually, and it was, a, it was good for me to see it as, as I look back, as, as a couple of years started to go by, I started to see him getting more and more and more healed up. And before, now, that doesn't mean wherever he walked, joy flowed. You know, it wasn't like, <laughs> I don't want to go overboard. I mean, you know, we are essentially who we are. There are times where we have remarkable breakthroughs in our lives because we're open to God. Some of our anger is deep-seated. 
because we feel cheated or somebody did this or somebody didn't show up for us. You know, I never had somebody come up to me after service, number one. And he was a man my age. He looked at me and he said, you know, when you were telling that story about you and your son having that conversation, he goes, I never had a conversation like that. And I, I could feel the pain in his eyes. But he was also, but he wasn't, he wasn't carrying it. It was like, he was going, but I know it's about moving forward. And he was, he was just, uh, he was just choosing not to hold on to his grievance and his pain. He was letting the Lord move in his life. I don't know a lot about it. I'm just saying, I heard that. I go, wow, Lord, you know, it does matter. He said, words scar, words affect, words words impact, words, um, but the Lord is the healer of the wound. He He can do amazing. He's the master surgeon. He can rewire us at a level that no human being can ever rewire us because he sees us as we truly are. And yeah, I do believe in the power of Jesus because I've seen it. And he can make people better. He can help us grow to become better in our relationships. He can take weaknesses in our lives. And by his grace, he can take what has been a weakness in our lives for years, reactive patterns that we have been engaging in for year after year. And he can take it and turn that even, yes, even that weakness into a strength. I've seen it. I've watched what God can do. We ought not to underestimate it. But the power, again, of speaking life-giving words, the benefit, the blessing that comes from it, ought not to be underestimated. And so, and I think that's just the bottom line is that, that people are drawn to people who are friendly and people are pushed away by people who are pain, pain givers. I've had, some, I've had a couple of conversations with someone. I said, you know what? You just need to focus on being more friendly. <laughs> He's telling me why everybody didn't want to be here. They don't want to be around me. They reject me. And I said, I said, I say, now, okay, if you keep telling everybody why everybody's rejecting you, it just, you know, you just, you're becoming a self-fulfilling prophecy. Because people are drawn to friendliness. And they're, you know, you know what I'm saying? It's like they pull away from that when it, it causes them pain. And so, you know, I, I'm going to show you a verse that makes the point. It says this, a man who has friends must himself be what? Friendly. A lot of times people say, Lord, give me friends. The prayer should be, Lord, make me a good friend. The friends will come. A lot of times we keep complaining why no one is there for us. Okay, I, I don't want to go. You get the point, I think, what I'm trying to say, right? <laughs> Speak encouraging words. Number two, here it is. If one is speaking, the other one is learning when not to speak. The power of silence. Some of us are not so good at this. Um, and I remember how there are times in life where I've known after that conversation, really honestly, what the Lord wanted me to do was say nothing. But I had to, I had to analyze it and then diagnose it and then prescribe when all I was supposed to do was sit there and weep. There are times where what we're supposed to do is just be there. One of the amazing passages in the Bible is from one of the great books of the Old Testament called the Book of Job. And in the Book of Job, which is interestingly enough, a lot about friendship. 
It's a long book, over 40 chapters. In that book, which we always think of, oh, this is like a, a isn't this the struggle of a man who lost everything? And he did. And he's anger with God, and there was real anger. And a not an understanding of what was actually happening and some unfair things as they appeared. I mean, Job lost everything, his family, his, all his possessions, his health. We can decide which one is harder to lose. But in Job's case, he lost everything to the point where he was just a piece of flesh and bones with sores all over his body, sitting on an ash heap. And when his friends get word of it, they come. And one of the things that caught my attention as I was thinking about what we were talking about was in Job 2. This is not in your handout, but in Job 2. It says this now, when Job's three friends heard of all this adversity that had come upon him, each one, each one, it says, came from his own place, names the names, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, and for they had made, his three friends, for they had made an appointment together to come and mourn with him and to comfort him. Hence Job's comforters, as they're often called. Although later on we see that they were compelled to give him advice and analyze. But look what they did initially. It says, and when they got to him, after they had made a decision to all come together to go visit him and to see him in his dark hour, when they all got there, it says this, that when they raised their eyes from afar, that is the Bible's way of saying, in a very poetic way, when they actually were close enough to see him, look what it says. It says they did, well, you don't look, just listen. It says they did not recognize him. He was so pitiful that they got, they were not prepared for what they saw. That when they saw this man, in his condition, they were just shocked. They were stunned. I mean, the description of him in the scripture is of a man in just utter agony, covered with boils, scraping them out with clay pot pieces, just totally depressed and discouraged, beaten down, broken, but yet a part of him not wanting to give up nor concede. And in fact, when they start telling him, this is God's judgment on you, he refuses to, to say it. He says, no, I have been righteous in my heart. It's some really great, powerful stuff in there. But here's what happened. This is the reason I brought it up. It says, so they sat, so after they saw him, it says, each one of them, they lifted up their voices and they wept. And each one tore his robe and sprinkled dust on his head towards heaven, which was a, which was a custom in their day that they would do when they saw something that was just tearing them apart, abject misery. And they identified fully with the grief of their friend. And it says, so they sat down with him on the ground. And this is what got me. It says, they sat down next to him for seven days and seven nights. And no one spoke a word to him. For they saw the depth of his grief. And I thought, I mean, they just sat there in his pain. And in fact, it wasn't until they started trying to figure him out that they started to get off track. They got some things right, some things not. But I just saw, I go, what kind of commitment of friends? Actually, you know what? They get blamed for a lot of his friends. Often, Job's comforters, don't be like that, you know? But you know what? Actually, they were good friends. They showed up. And they sat there and they were silent. Listen, sometimes, and it may happen to us sooner than later, we're not supposed to say anything. Just to be there. Now, you say, are you taking me literally? I don't, I, okay. I'm not saying we're not supposed to talk at all. There, you can think of silence in a kind of metaphorical way as well. It's kind of, in their case, they didn't say anything. But it may be for us what it means is not saying the type of things we would normally say. But we hold off. We sit we don't try to figure it out. We don't try to tell them this is what you did wrong. 
This is why, you know, or, or if you think about this, this is uh, there'll be a time for those. But you know what? We just, we're there. We're there. I'll show it. Let's look at it in a different way. There's, this we'll call this our third piece. There's an acrostic that I was given years ago. I don't even remember who gave it to me. It's called Think. And it's a great way to approach this idea of relationship. I mean, just each of the letters represents a thought that we've been sitting with. T, for example, has to do with something that is clear. Truth. Am I telling the truth? Is this something that is a truthful word? Or am I shading it? Am I manipulating? Am I pulling off when I should be speaking? Is this something that I am becoming? Here's the, am I in this situation becoming an enabler? Am I somehow sharing in this, this um, addiction by letting it pass and becoming, in a sense, a codependent? Am I closing my eyes to something that God has said we need to talk about and we're not talking about it and we can't pretend it's not a problem when it is a problem? It's the question, am I telling the truth? Am I being a truthful person? Think. H, when it sometimes has to do with help, are these words going to be helpful? Do these words actually have something that's going to move this situation forward? Is it beneficial? Is it constructive? Or do they tend to be destructive words? I, will these words inspire Will they, will they encourage? Will the, will the final result of these words be someone feeling stronger about moving forward? Or will they be counterproductive and therefore actually only increase the problem that already exists? Um, we've talked about this before, how our words are to encourage. And then and here we go back to the silence factor. And are my words even necessary? A lot of times we get stuck because, you know, okay, for example, just because something can be said doesn't mean it should be said. And a lot of times I think we say foolish things because we're, or at least thoughtless things because we're awkward. I have done that. It's like, I, I feel like I should say something. And so we just start talking, right? And then a lot of times we're in, as we're talking, we end up actually afterwards, you know, I really should. I'm t can I suggest something? That if we are going into a conversation that we know might be difficult, or someone's going through a very difficult time, or we're concerned about the tension that might be there, or the pain that's going on in that, in that conversation, that we do something that is something actually very simple, but in its own way, it is profound because we're welcoming God into it. Maybe just pausing to say, Lord, get ready to go into this conversation. And it might be before I make this phone call, you know, before I dial that number up and have this conversation, or before I send this off, or before I talk and meet with them, I'm sitting in my car, getting ready to go in. I've gotten there a little bit early so I can just calm my spirit down and ask you, Lord, to illuminate this conversation. I'm asking you, Lord, to show up and hear me out. I'm asking you, Lord, to tell me whether or not I'm supposed to speak words or whether maybe I need to be silent, whether I need to just be open to be a truth teller in this moment, if that's what you're requiring of me, or whether or not this is a moment where I really shouldn't be trying to push anybody in anything, I just need to hear it. I need to seek to understand it. Lord, give me wisdom. Help me to understand in the middle of this what you want me to be to this friend of mine. I want to be a mediator of life. And that connects to this final letter. K, kind. Are my words kind? Are they undergirded with kindness? Because, listen, okay, we all know this. We've all been on both ends of this. Truth given to us unkindly could actually be counterproductive. There's a lot of things. Well, it was true. Yeah, I know. 
but you used it like a hammer on me. You beat me up with that truth. Where's, where's the love, brother? Right? And I think that when we get something, you know, a lot, and by the way, a lot of people are very, very zealous about God. And they don't want to stand for truth. It's true. But you know what? Where's the humility? Um, is, it, is, it, is, it, is, is there essential? Maybe we shouldn't say things if we're mad. That might be good. Because a lot of times things don't happen that are beneficial when we're mad. Last, last, <laughs> for, and this is this, this last thought. We are, when we're friends, we're going to be loyal and we're going to be faithful. And I love this quality in people. I may value, I personally believe is the greatest quality in a friendship. Now, I, we, can, we, can, it, we can disagree with that and think it over ourselves. But a friend who sticks close to the brother who will not, who will not leave us when we fail and who will not abandon us and will, and, will be, and will remain even when we blow it. Stick with us. I was reading an article from Lewis Smees, and he was talking about Richard Nixon. Just check this out. It says, when Richard Nixon was at the lowest ebb of his presidency, at the height of Watergate, he got a letter from Harold Macmillan, the former prime minister of England. The letter read in part, I feel impelled in view of our long friendship to send you a message of sympathy and goodwill I trust these clouds will soon roll away. So it was at the height of his problem that ended up in his just, you know, the debacle of Watergate. His humiliation, impeached as a president for his corruption. It was just awful. All of Nixon's friends abandoned him. It says, when Macmillan died a while later, Richard Nixon wrote a tribute to him in the Times of London. Among the things he remembered about the prime minister was his letter of friendship. This is what he said. What you learn when you fail, Nixon wrote, is that you hear from your friends, your loyal friends. Smees went on to say, loyalty is at the heart and soul of any committed relationship and friendship. This is probably why it seems so much more horrible that Jesus was betrayed by a friend than it would have seemed if a stranger had turned his back on him. So much more monstrous that Caesar was stabbed in the back by his friend Brutus than he had been stabbed by Cassius, whom Caesar did not trust anyway. Loyalty is the consistency that gives friendship a toughness to survive, listen to this phrase, when it costs a person something to stick with their friend. When it costs us something to stick with our friend. Friendship is loyal. Friendship doesn't abandon. The song that we're closing with is called The Way That We Mend. It's called The Way That We, it's basically the way that we get better, the way we heal. And in this song, look at, the, look at the, the stanza in it. It says this. You know, and it, I, it's, it's kind of light, but it makes the point really well. Lately, you've been all blue skies. I've been all rain. Your things are going great for you, but they're really hard for me. He says, and I don't mean to bust up your party with all of my pain. It's not my intention, my friend. It's just that some voices, and is that the, in the middle stanza, it's just that some voices remind me that I'm not strong enough to put all my demons behind me and carry this love. I have something about that phrase that hit me. Sometimes we struggle to move forward with the love of God in our lives because of the stuff of our past. And the power of a friend to come alongside of us and say, I believe with you. We're going through this. We have others, so we're not, we don't quit. Lord, I pray that as we're here in these minutes of sharing, as we close our service, Lord, that we would be open and just listening fully to a point of completion because we're so grateful for 
the way that you want to move in our lives, the way that you want to keep growing us, Lord. And none of us ever arrive. It's about becoming more like you. And that's a lifetime journey that makes its way into eternity, I suppose. But what I do know, Lord, is while we're here on this earth, you've given us an opportunity to be good friends, to be people who can be counted on, who pray for one another, who love one another. The way you want it to be, Lord, is that we learn how to weep with one another and rejoice with one another. We learn how, you know, that, Lord, we know that, that um, shared, shared joy is twice as much fun. And when we share our sorrow, it's half the pain. And I just pray that you would remind us, Lord, to be the kind of people that can be life-giving in all of our key relationships so that the people would see the goodness of God flowing out, not perfectly, but something of you in, a, in our lives. So just pray that you'd bless our time as we close the service out, bless our closing song, bless our time of giving as we honor you, many of us, even more so now. We ask for your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen, Lord. Amen.